This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 299. Nomadic Studio Tent. Museum releases early color photos. Citrus turned into a pinhole camera and more in today's episode for Sunday, December 18th, 2022. And a happy birthday to my mom. Nomadic Studio Tent Capturing Magical Portraits Across Ethiopia. This nomadic studio tent was our world for many years. Step inside and I will show you a world of beauty, adventure, and even heartbreak. For years, we dragged our nomadic studio tent across almost every region of Ethiopia. In our tent, everyone was equal. We captured pure magic. And there is an accompanying YouTube video in this article in the show notes. Somehow, we managed to carry whatever energy we had at the beginning of the project all the way to the very end. Every kind of person entered and had their portrait taken, from the grandfather of Ethiopian jazz, Mulatu Asate, pastoralists of the Bodhi Mene, to the nomads of a far desert. The tent was our little fantasy world. It was the Ethiopia that we dreamed of, even when the reality outside of it was sometimes stricken with searing pain. Each portrait was a tribute to a distinct region of this country. Disconnected cultural threads were woven together in a cohesive visual style in order to truly see Ethiopia, which itself is a modern nation state, but is also the sum of all the diverse people who inhabit it. These portraits on alternating red and black backdrops are the visual backbone of my newly released book, 13 Years of Photography from Ethiopia. For every environmental image, there is a portrait companion. The visual flow of the book weaves in and out of those grandiose environments Ethiopia is famous for and then back to intimate portraits. As we created this collection of portraits, I questioned myself many times. Sometimes we would be in the most beautiful landscape and using the tent felt like missing the elegance of the location. But then we would focus on the subtle details of the person and that selective tunnel vision allowed us to experience more. Our tent became a sacred space from the incense of an Orthodox Tuidu priest. It briefly became perceived as a cursed place from a crocodile hunter who had been ostracized from his community for not paying a dowry on time. Eventually, that curse was lifted by the elders and our tent was active again. We set up our nomadic tent studio in remote villages and photographed still life, objects that were too precious to move or impossible to find elsewhere. Freshly harvested coffee cherries or all the cooking vessels from a kitchen made out of clay and dried gourds. Every portrait is created with natural light molded from the tent itself. No flashes. Daylight passes through diffusion material made out of 
Natalia fabric, which is a hand-spun cotton perfected by Dorsey craftspeople. Black fabric on the opposite side creates the contrast. I wish we had a cool name for the tent, but it went through several designs. It was never a single physical object, but an ever-evolving house we spent a lot of time in, fussing over fine details. Over the years, we modified its structure, materials, and colors. Many things broke. We lost the first version of our tent in a riot during the unrest in Jima of summer in summer of 2020. It was strapped to the roof of our 4x4 as they were burned alongside our hotel as everyone fled to get out of it. I escaped with my hard drives hidden under my shirt. That day almost took our lives. What was happening across the country broke our hearts. But a couple of months later, we were on the road again, more driven than ever to continue. I flew back to America and imported another tent, this time with a black roof instead of white. Time itself bent within the fabric walls of the tent. Here is Guri, uh, the same girl photographed 10 years apart with a shaved head. The Abore people visually signify they are married, are unmarried, I'm sorry. Now with braids, Guri has moved to a new stage of her life. The nomadic tent was a place of great uh, collusion. Forget about purest forms of photography. The people I photographed presented themselves the way they wanted to be seen. Portraits would pop up on my laptop screen and the community influenced things as they unfolded live. In Ethiopia, there is a great power through representation. When a priest found out an Imam had allowed the tent in his village, they wanted their own community to be part of it even more. When a Highlander found out a Lowlander neighbor took part, they swiftly did enter the tent. Our nomadic studio tent could be intimidating at first in any country. Who the hell wants to be the first to have their picture taken? We always started with the elders, and when nothing went wrong, many others would usually follow. My dear friend, the artist Sam Spratt, once called this project, quote, the cinematic universe of Ethiopia. This thirst for visual cohesion has defined my life as a photographer. I want to photograph my subjects with dignity and conceptually from the same hand. The tent was a tool to do that. Our tent holds a very key era of my life within. After spending all day in there, I would often... It would often make me feel insane or question if it was all worth it. When we lost the desired angle of the sun, we would rotate it by hand so that the light always came from the same position. After so much rotating, the doorway often ended up in a very different place than where we started. But it was the world outside that was disorienting. Inside our tent, everything was always the same. It seemed impossible to control any aspect of the world beyond our tent. Take me back to our beautiful tent. Take me back to those years on the road. Light our tent on fire again. Bury me with our tent. I love you, my tent. But I love you most, my family. Kia, Nibbi, Nibaya, because we can always make another tent anytime and pick up where we left off. P.S. Here is the information about the book in case you're interested in ordering it. A standard edition book available now on Amazon or directly from the publisher. Large format hardcover, 14 by 11 inches, over 300 beautifully printed medium format photographs and maps. The collector's edition book set, 
pre-order directly from Insight Editions, supplies are extremely limited. Handmade foldable bronze metal book stand designed in Ethiopia. Spinal or signed archival fine art print, each unique print, edition of 100. Custom clamshell case. And this is a very intriguing project, and there are several videos um, that accompany this article, which you can find in the show notes for today's episode. But they did capture some absolutely stunning images. And Ethiopia is a country I've always wanted to visit myself with my camera, but whether or not I'll ever make it down there, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Museum releases early color photos of a vanished world a century ago. Stunning color images recently made available in high resolution by a French museum captured much of the world as it was transformed by technology and geopolitics 100 years ago. This image of a young Serbian man butchering a sheep in 1913 in Kruzvac in central Serbia is one of tens of thousands of historic color photos recently made available in high resolution by France's Albert Kahn Museum. The museum in the west of Paris reopened in April after years-long architectural renovation, during which they also transformed their digital portal. Some 72,000 high-resolution photos from a project called the Archives of the Planet have been made available for download by the museum. The images have been possible to view previously, but only in low quality through a difficult-to-navigate website. Archives of the Planet Project was launched in 1909 by French banker Albert Kahn soon after autochrome, the first viable color film technology, became commercially available. Kahn was a French banking titan who funneled much of his fortune into philanthropic projects. With his massively ambitious photography project, Kahn sought to document the world as it was being transformed by, by globalization. In some cases, Khan's photographs were making the first ever color photos of the countries they were working in. Jean Burles, who was Khan's director for the project, summarized the archives of the planet as, quote, using the instruments which have just been born to capture and preserve the facts of the planet that are about to die. A dozen of France's best photographers were tasked by Khan to travel the world in order to, quote, preserve once and for all certain aspects practices and modes of human activity whose fatal disappearance is only a matter of time, the banker explained. A spokesman for the Albert Kahn Museum says the revamped online archive will allow the discovery of a wide selection of works. The museum spokesperson added that the, quote, reuse of images will be widely encouraged thanks to the online availability of a large part of the collection under a Creative Commons license. The autochrome color film technology used by Kahn's photographers was first introduced in France in 1907 and immediately caused a sensation. Our commentator noted in 1908 that the autochrome technique replicated the colors of nature in a most startling, truthful way. Autochrome film was used, uh, film used millions of pixels of dyed grains of potato starch pressed into, emul in, into emulsion to create color photos. The pastel-shaded, slightly speckled images that autochrome produced were described as being the color of dreams. The original caption on the photo above notes that the two lemonade containers were painted in vivid red, blue, and white of the Serbian flag. 
which indicates the colors of the autochrome photographs are significantly muted when compared with reality. Autochrome photographic plates were easy to use, but expensive to buy and difficult to exhibit. The main disadvantage of autochrome technology, users said, was its low sensitivity to light, which necessitated long exposures. Exposure times for autochrome photos, even on bright days, stretched into seconds, meaning bustling street scenes were impossible to capture adequately and portraits needed to be strictly posed. In total, the photographers commissioned by Khan traveled more than to more than 50 countries and captured not only color photos, but around 100 hours of black and white film footage as well. Film footage was used by Khan's photographers to capture the candid daily life that the color photographs were unable to freeze into a clear photo. Khan was forced to end the photographic project soon after the Great Depression shattered the world's financial markets. Khan went bankrupt in 1932. He died in 1940, soon after Nazi forces occupied France. The visual record he and his photographers left behind has been called some of the most important color images ever made. And there are some absolutely beautiful images in here, and I highly encourage you to check them out, as well as checking out the museum's website, so that you can see more of the beautiful images from this personal project. Citrus turned into a pinhole camera. Oranges can take photos? A viral TikTok video claiming that oranges can take photos proves that pinhole cameras can be made out of literally anything, including citrus fruit. The since-deleted video was re-uploaded to Reddit by another TikTok creator. It starts by showing oranges being handpicked from a tree before one is selected and sliced in half. It is then squeezed of all its juices, and a black liner is put inside the two halves. A hole is made in the skin for the orange's rudimentary lens, and then a small sheet with a pinhole is placed behind it. Viewers get a, get a shot of a stack of oranges with tape holding together the sliced fruits, and with tape also covering the pinhole. The citrusy camera is then taken out into the world and placed on a light stand, once again held with tape and not with the standard quarter-inch thread. Finally, the orange is thrown into a traditional film developer, and the creators reveal the resulting photos taken on the Clementine camera. The photos are classic pinhole shots, black and white, unsharp, and distorted. The clever video never mentions the word pinhole or alludes to how the orange is really taking photos. Non-photographers may be heading to the store to buy clementines to take their holiday pictures on this year. Quote, so yeah, oranges can take photos. But it's not the oranges taking the photo. You're actually making a pinhole camera out of an orange, explains Dave Constantine, uh, Constine, owner of the Photography Tips page on TikTok. Quote, you need to have the round of the orange and it has to be black inside. So you use some cardboard and black paper and then what you, what you do is take a piece of film. Quote, you're going to cut out your film paper and you put it inside the orange and you tape it all up and then you bring your orange outside and open up your pinhole and expose it for about 30 seconds and then you bring it back inside and you get those images. The one step that Constine missed is the uh, the orange must be opened inside a dark room where the photosensitive paper can be safely taken out without receiving any more light. The film paper is then processed by dipping it into a liquid chemicals and the picture magically appears. 
It's clear that whoever made the video was having some fun by playing fast and loose with the truth while taking advantage of the mystical world of analog photography. <laughs> That's definitely an interesting story. I've never heard of making a pinhole camera out of food. But hey, if it works, it works. The first photograph of the entire globe. 50 years on, blue marble still inspires. December 7th marked the 50th anniversary of the blue marble photograph. The crew of NASA's Apollo 17 spacecraft, the last manned mission to the moon, took a photograph of Earth and changed the way we visualized our planet forever. Taken with a Hasselblad film camera, it was the first photograph taken of the whole round Earth and is believed to be the most reproduced image of all time. Up until this point, our view of ourselves had been disconnected and fragmented. There was no way to visualize the planet in its entirety. The Apollo 17 crew was on their way to the moon when the photograph was captured at 29,000 kilometers or 18,000 miles from the Earth. It quickly became a symbol of harmony and unity. The previous Apollo missions had taken photographs of the Earth in part shadow, Earthrise shows a partial Earth rising from the moon's surface. In blue marble, the Earth appears in the center of the frame floating in space. It is possible to clearly see the African continent as well as the Antarctic South Pole or ice cap. Photographs like blue marble are quite hard to capture. To see the Earth as a full globe floating in space, lighting needs to be calculated carefully. The sun needs to be directly behind you, astronaut Scott Kelly observes, that this can be difficult to plan when orbiting at high speeds. Produced against the broader cultural and political context of the space race between the United States and the Soviet Union, the photograph revealed an unexpectedly uh, neutral view of the Earth with no borders. According to geographer Dennis Cosgrove, the blue marble disrupted Western conventions for mapping and cartography by removing... The graticule, the grid of meridians and parallels humans place over the globe. The image represented an Earth freed from mapping practices that have been in place for hundreds of years. The photograph also gave Africa a central position in the representation of the world where Eurocentric mapping practices had tended to reduce Africa's scale. The image quickly became a symbol of harmony and unity. Instead of offering proof of America's supremacy, the photograph fostered a sense of global interconnectedness. Since the Enlightenment, mapping and map-making had emphasized man's superiority over the Earth. Working against this hierarchy, blue marble evoked a sense of humility. Earth appeared extremely fragile and in need of protection. In his book, Earthwise, Robert Poole wrote, Quote, although no one found the words to say so at the time, the blue marble was a photographic manifesto for global justice. It is impossible to examine blue marble and separate it from the urgency of today's climate crisis. It quickly became a symbol of the early environmental movement and was adopted by activist groups such as Friends of the Earth and annual events such as Earth Day. The photograph appeared on the cover of James Lovelock's book, Gaia, 1979, Postage Stamps, and an early opening sequence of Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth from 2006. The ways we have viewed and visualized Earth have changed over the decades. Commencing in the 1990s, NASA created digitally manipulated whole Earth images titled Blue Marble Next Generation in honor of the original Apollo 17 mission. 
These are composite images composed of data stitched together from thousands of images taken at different times by satellites. Space-based imaging technology has continued to advance in its capacity to render astonishing detail. Art historians such as Elizabeth A. Kessler have linked this new generation of image picturing, images picturing the cosmos with a uh, philosophical concept of the sublime. The photographs create a sense of vastness and awe that can leave the spectator overwhelmed, akin to 19th century romantic paintings such as Thomas Moran's The Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone in 1872. In 1995, the Hubble Space Telescope revealed mountains of gas and dust in the Eagle Nebula, known as the Pillars of Creation. The image captures gas and dust in the process of creating new stars. Earlier this year, NASA released the first images taken by the James Webb Space Telescope. Building on the Hubble's discoveries, the Webb is designed to visualize infrared wavelengths at an unprecedented level of clarity. These advances in technology might help explain the photograph's enduring charm from the vantage point of 2022. The first photographs of our planet was remarkably lo-fi. Blue marble is the last full Earth photograph taken by an actual human using analog film developed in a dark room when the crew returned to Earth. And this is a great story. I really love this. And I've always been familiar with the blue marble image from Apollo 17, as probably most everybody listening is. It is a truly stunning capture of the Earth from outer space. And I'm going to take a short break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. Japan's private moon mission captures awe inspiring photo of Earth. Japan's Haikudo R Mission 1 captured this stunning view of planet Earth after it launched from Cape Canaveral in Florida on Sunday. iSpace, a Japanese space startup, tweeted out the first images taken by the tiny lunar spacecraft that is currently en route to the moon. Quote, initial checkout operations in our Mission Control Center, or MCC, continue, and in the meantime, we are pleased to share another image from onboard iSpace writes. Quote, pictured is the Earth and the SpaceX launch vehicle second stage taken about two minutes after separation. The Hakuto R1 will attempt to land on the surface of the moon. If successful, it will be the first time Japan has ever achieved the feat and the first time a private company from any country has achieved it. The national space agencies, the United States, Russia, and China have achieved soft landings on Earth's nearest neighbor in the past half century, but no companies have. The lander launched on board a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket at 2.38 a.m. Eastern Time, about 19 hours after separating from its launch vehicle. The Hakuto-R spacecraft captured its first images using its mounted camera. 
More than 100 people at a viewing party in Tokyo roared in applause when the rocket fired and lifted into the dark skies. Quote, I'm so happy. After repeated delays, it's good that we had a proper launch today. Yokoro uh, Takeda, a 28-year-old worker at an electronics company who joined the gathering, tells Reuters, quote, I have this image of the American flag from the Apollo landing, so while this is just the launch, the fact that it's a private company going there with a rover is really a meaningful step. Quote, while initial checkout operations continue in space in iSpace's Mission Control Center, we all we have also received the first images taken by our lander mounted camera at rights. Quote, what looks like a crescent moon here is actually the Earth. The name Hakudo refers to the white rabbit that lives on the moon in Japanese folklore, in contrast to the Western idea of a man in the moon. The project was a finalist in the Google Luxar our Lunar X Prize before being revived as a commercial venture. Next year is the year of the rabbit in the Asian calendar. The craft, assembled in Germany, is expected to land on the moon in late April. So that's really cool, and it's fun to see that another private space company is getting launches done, getting up off the ground, and sending a, 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 a rover to the moon. That's going to be really cool to see what kind of images it captures once it gets there. I'm definitely going to be looking forward to that. Photographer shares funny side of her wildlife photography. A wildlife photographer has shown that nature doesn't need to be picture perfect after she shared a series of funny animal photos. Julia Cook tells Petapixel that she has accumulated a number of wildlife photos where the animals have crazy expressions or awkward poses. Quote, I normally just discard them in favor of the more dramatic and majestically posed wildlife, but I thought there might be something that people would enjoy, she explains. If nothing else, they're a good cause they're good to cause a laugh. The photos were always a complete accident, and I often didn't even notice the funny captures until reviewing the images on my computer after a shoot. Cook grew up in Wyoming, just outside of Yellowstone National Park, and has always been in raptured by nature. Her social media feeds are festooned with awe-inspiring wildlife pictures, but it was a video she made of her outtakes that suddenly generated a big buzz. Quote, I have been shocked by how well people have responded to the funny wildlife photos. I initially shared a short video on TikTok with the photos not expecting much, and it now has over 5 million views, Cook says. Quote, numerous people were asking for prints of the images or to be able to use them as a phone background for a daily laugh. For me, it's a good lesson that wildlife doesn't always have to be in the perfect pose for a stoic expression to be worth photographing or for people to enjoy it. And she does have some really wild images in this article in the show notes. Cook's TikTok video above is plastered with people begging her to make a calendar Quote, I would much rather have any of these pictures framed than a classic stoic one, writes one TikTok user. The photographer believes that the photos make people connect with nature in a way that traditional photos do not. Quote, the silly photos show their individual personalities and proves we are more alike than most people realize, Cook says. Cook picked up a camera three years ago to document animals and says she's completely fell in love with wildlife photography. She uses a Canon R5 and recently upgraded her Tamron 150-600 to a Canon 300mm f2.8. 
quote, for me, my overall goal is now to create impactful images of our native wildlife to inspire others to love and protect wildlife, as well as to share glimpses of wild places with those who don't have easy access, access to nature. More of Cook's work can be found on her website, Instagram, and TikTok. And she does have some absolutely amazing and funny images in this article in the show notes. So I highly recommend that you stop by and check them out for yourself. And now over to Canon Rumors for this week. Laua has new mounts released. Anui, China, December 13th, 2022. Venus Optics, a pioneer in producing unique photo and cinema lenses, announced today the addition of new mounts for the Magic Shift Converter, or MSC, transforming the normal lenses into a professional shift lens with a plus or minus 10 millimeter shift capability. On top of the existing Canon EF, Nikon F, Nikon G to Sony E options, the brand is adding Canon EF to Canon RF, Canon EF to Nikon Z, and Nikon FG to Z, Nikon Z to the portfolio. With the MSC, the Canon and Nikon DSLR lenses can be mounted on mirrorless cameras while retaining optical performance. It is optimized with the Laowa 12mm f2.80D ultra-wide angle lens, but you can use any full manual EF and F-mount lenses supporting photographers to capture straight architectural interior, and real estate photos. Additional mounts for other lava lenses are also announced. New Canon RF mount for the 4mm f2.8 fisheye, 9mm f2.80D, and 65mm f2.8 ultra macro APO, and new L mount for the 12-24 f5.6 zoom. Let's see here. Okay, so the MSC has a built-in shift mechanism with a maximum plus or minus 10 millimeter distance by shifting horizontally or vertically converging digital lines created by our converging vertical lines created by distance can be corrected easily with the adjusted perspective. Shift lens is extremely powerful for architectural photographers to capture straight skyscrapers and real estate photography. Made with five elements and four groups with two ultra-refractive lenses, the MSC delivers a remarkable control on chromatic aberration and consistent image sharpness from the center to the edge. The MSC body can be rotated 360 degrees both clockwise and counterclockwise by pressing the knob. It allows photographers to shoot in both horizontal and portrait orientation. Come with the lens support, providing user-friendly installation on tripods to maintain a perfect balance of the lens during shifting, the axis of the image can easily be aligned. Both Nikon F and Nikon G lenses work well with the Magic Shift Converter, and aperture ring on the MSC provides control of the aperture for the Nikon G lenses. The aperture impact is reduced one stop. Focus mode is manual, of course. Shift amount is plus to minus 10 millimeters. Dimensions about 69.6 millimeters by 44.1 millimeters. The weight is 360 grams. Lava Magic Shift Converter is currently available to purchase via Venus Optics official website at www.venuslens.net and authorized resellers. The U.S. price for the Laowa Magic Shift Converter is $300 for the Canon EF to Canon RF, the Nikon Z, and the Sony E, and $320 for the Nikon F, Nikon G to Nikon Z, and Sony E. 
Pricing varies in different countries. Lala Magic Shift Converter can be found at the accompanying link in this article in the show notes. Other lenses with additional mounts, the Lala 4mm f2.8 fisheye for Canon RF, Featuring a one-of-a-kind 210-degree field of view, the Lawa 4mm f2.8 fisheye lens can create a circular fisheye perspective on micro four-thirds and APS-C cameras. Photographers can create a 360-degree full panorama image with a minimum of two to three shots. The lens weighs only 4.8 ounces or 135 grams, which makes it extremely portable and allows photographers to have creative shots anywhere, anytime. The lens can also be mounted on DJI drones for creating a unique perspective you have never seen before. Mounts available at Canon RF, which is new, the Micro Four Thirds, Fuji X, Sony E, Canon M, Leica L, and Nikon Z. The Lawa 9mm f2.8 0D for Canon RF. This exciting prime lens provides ultra-wide angle coverage up to 113 degree angle of view, 100 degrees on Micro Four Thirds systems. The tiny size and weight match perfectly with mirrorless cameras and are suitable for use with gimbals. Two spherical elements plus three extra low dispersion elements successfully correct chromatic aberration, realize close to zero distortion, and deliver excellent corner-to-corner sharpness. Mounts available are Canon RF New, Fuji X, Sony E, Canon EFM, DJI DL, Micro Four Thirds, L-Mount, and Nikon Z. The Lala 65mm f2.8 2x Ultra Macro APO Canon RF. The Lala 65mm Macro APO is the first macro lens that Venus Optics designed for systems other than full-frame cameras. This is the only macro lens on the market that is capable of producing 2x life-size images and designed specifically for mirrorless cameras. The new 65mm is remarkably light and compact, which makes it ideal for macro photography, daily still photos, portraiture, and more. Mounts available, Canon RF, which is new, Fuji X, Sony E, Canon EFM, and Nikon Z. And finally, the Lala 12-24 f5.6 zoom L-mount. The 12-24 f5.6 zoom is an ultra-wide zoom lens designed for mirrorless cameras. With an angle of view from 84 degrees to 121 degrees, the lens can be very useful for multiple scenarios. It also has a fixed f5.6 maximum aperture throughout the whole zoom range, which gives the photographer much greater control over the photo. The lens is relatively lightweight in its class. It is compressed to be around 3.3 inches or 84 millimeters long and weighs about 1.09 pounds or 497 grams. The lens is also compatible with 77mm filters with the lens hood and has a 15cm close focusing distance, easily creating interesting shots with good background separation like many of the Lowell lenses. This wide-angle lens also renders stunning 10-point sun stars. Mounts available are L-mount, which is new, Leica M, Sony E, Nikon Z, and Canon RF. It's definitely some interesting new stuff from Lawa. As you know, I've used their lenses before and owned their lenses. They do make some interesting and very capable lenses, and it looks like they're expanding their line quite a bit. Canon adds focus breathing correction support to f2.8 and f4 RF zoom lenses via firmware. 
The Canon EOS R6 Mark II has electronic focus breathing correction, and it appears that at least some lenses need to be updated to take full advantage of this new feature. The RF 14-35 F4L ISUSM firmware version 1.0.3, the RF 18-30 or 15-35, excuse me, F2.8L ISUSM firmware version 1.0.8, the RF 24-70 F2.8L ISUSM firmware version 1.0.8, the RF 70-200 F4L ISUSM firmware version 1.1.1, and the RF 70-200 F2.8 L ISUSM firmware version 1.1.4. So definitely incredible to see that they're able to correct focus breathing with a firmware update. Good for Canon. And now over to Nikon rumors. Pergear announced the new 14mm f2.8 ultra wide angle manual focus full frame lens for the Nikon Z mount. Pergear announced this new lens for the Nikon Z mount. The lens is currently in stock at Pergear International Shipping available. Amazon US, Amazon UK, Amazon Canada, Amazon Germany, France, Spain, and Italy. Key features and specifications, multi-layer coating to suppress flare, focal length is 14 millimeters, aperture of f2.8 to f22, lens format coverage full frame, angle of view 114 degrees, optical design 13 elements and 9 groups, Two is spherical, five high, uh, ultra-high refractive index glass, and three extra low dispersion elements. Diaphragm blades, 10, filter size, 82 millimeters. Dimensions, uh, 66 by 87 millimeters. Clicked aperture design, all-metal design with lens hood. Weight is 500 grams, and there are some accompanying pictures in this article in the show notes. More Pergare lenses from Nikon Z-Mount can be found in an accompanying link, and more third-party lenses for the Nikon Z-Mount can be found at a second link in this article in the show notes. Venus Optics announces the new Lawa Magic Shift Converter, Canon EF and Nikon F to Nikon Z with test 10 plus, te- uh, plus or minus 10 millimeter shift capability. This is the same uh, MSC that I mentioned a few moments ago on the Canon Rumors site. Uh, again, it has five elements in four groups. Uh, aperture impact reduced one stop. Focus mode is manual. Shift amount is plus or minus 10 millimeters. Dimensions of 69.6 by, uh, by 44.1 millimeters with a weight of 360 grams. The mounts are new Canon EF to RF, new Canon EF to Nikon Z, Canon EF to Sony E, new Nikon FG to Nikon Z, and Nikon F to G Sony, or F, Nikon FG to Sony E. Uh, it's definitely an interesting thing. And uh, like I said, Lawa has been doing a lot of great work, and uh, I think they're going to continue to keep creating unique and interesting lenses and lens mount adapters. <laughs> And now on over to Fuji Rumors. Let's see what Patrick has for us. DP Review TV and Ted Forbes 2023 predictions, Fujifilm X-Pro4, and a dedicated video camera. DP Review TV teamed up with Ted Forbes to predict the future of the Fujifilm system for 2023. They predict two cameras, the Fujifilm X-Pro4 with a 40 megapixel sensor and a dedicated video camera. I won't make any comments on anything at the moment because, as you can imagine, I am looking deep into 2023 already. And when the time has come and all the checks are done, I will drop 100% accurate rumors for you. 
So for now, take their predictions as what they are, fun speculation and wishes. The Fuji Rumors community has a clear idea of what they want for 2023. For the X-Series, the most wished camera is indeed the Fujifilm X-Pro4, followed by the Fujifilm X106, or BI, or an X100BS, or X200, or however Fujifilm is going to call the Fujifilm X100V successor. For the GFX series, the top wish could be summed up with one word, speed. <laughs> I haven't watched this DP Review TV video yet, but I'll have to check it out. I do love to watch their videos. Chris and Jordan are really great guys. DP Review TV, best lenses for Fujifilm X mount and a few corrections. DP Review TV made a list of what they consider the best lenses for the Fujifilm X mount. Now, this video I did watch the other day. It is a great list, but not error-free, which is why I feel I must add a few notes. Wide-angle prime, the Fujinon XF 18mm f1.4 RLMWR. Normal prime, the Fujinon XF 33mm f1.4 RLMWR. Portrait prime, the Fujinon XF 90 f2 L. W, uh, LMRWR macro lens, the Lawa 100 millimeter f 2.8 two times ultra macro. Note the Lawa 100 millimeter does not exist for Fujifilm X mount. You can buy the Lawa 65 millimeter f 2.8 two times ultra macro for the X mount. Standard zoom lens, Sigma 18 to 50 2.8 telephoto zoom, Fujidon the uh, XF 50 to 140 2.8 RLMWR. For a telephoto prime, the Fujinon XF 200mm F2 RLM OIS WR, and super telephoto zoom, the Fujinon XF 150-600 F5-6-8 RLM OIS WR. Note, they say Tamron and Sigma do not offer anything in this range, but that's not correct, as there is a Tamron 150-500 F5-6-6-7 or F5-6-7, for the Fujifilm X mount. So shame on you, Chris and Jordan, for getting that wrong. You guys should be flogged. <laughs> Just kidding. And now over to Sony Alpha rumors, Tamron 24 to 40 millimeter FE review by Sony Alpha blog, quote, ideal only if you really need the variability of a zoom. Sony Alpha Blog tested the Tamron 20 to 40 millimeter FE lens and concluded, quote, this lens at $1,000 in euros is proposing a usual zoom range that will suit vlogger and photographer who mix street and architectural landscape and a tiny bit of portraits. It will also be an ideal complement to Tamron's 35 to 150 F2 to 2.8 DI3 VXD. Its performances are very good overall with very good sharpness, especially at 20 millimeters, but nothing excellent neither especially in the corners that are a little bit weak at 40 millimeters wide open. For best results across the frame, you'll need to close down to f5.6. Bokeh is very good as well as color rendering and smoothness of background blur. The images are automatically corrected in Lightroom for distortion and vignetting. Resistance flare is a bit average. In term of competition, there is no direct equivalent. The best replacement are either the Sony PZ 16-35 F4G, the Duo Tamron 20mm F2.8, the Duo Sony 24mm F2.8G. The Tamron 20-40 will be an ideal lens only if you really need the variability of a zoom and F2.8 in this specific focal range will be more 
at ease on an A7 IV with 33 megapixels than on an A7R5 with 61 megapixels. And the last article for this week, Tim Cook officially confirms that Apple uses Sony camera sensors. Tim Cook visited the Sony camera sensor facility in Kumado, and he confirmed what we already knew, that Apple uses Sony camera sensors. And the next generation iPhone 15 is rumored to feature a brand new Sony sensor. Quote, Sony's new image sensor roughly doubles the saturation signal level in each pixel compared with conventional sensors. In other words, the sensor can capture more light and reduce overexposure or underexposure in certain settings, enabling a smartphone camera to clearly photograph a person's face, even if the subject is standing against a strong backlight. The Verge writes, quote, the report goes on to explain that Sony's latest sensor tech uses a new semiconductor architecture, which places photodiodes and transistors in separate substract layers, allowing the sensor to add more photodiodes to the dedicated layer. So it is uh, good to see that Tim finally confirmed this, but as the article mentions, we knew all along that they were using Sony sensors. And that's going to wrap up the news and rumor stories for this week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 299 of the Liam Photography Podcast. Thursday's episode is going to be the big 300. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Wanted to remind you to make sure you hit that subscribe button on your podcatcher to subscribe to the show. It doesn't cost you a thing. It's absolutely free. And please share it out on social media and encourage your friends and family to subscribe to the show and listen to the episodes. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for future episodes that you would like to hear, you can submit those on the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. Also, be sure to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media, and hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when new content drops. My latest video will be coming out later on today, so make sure you've got that bell icon selected so you'll be notified as soon as it becomes available. All right, that's everything for today, folks. I will see you all again on Thursday. <laughs>